Thanks for joining us today. And hey, if you like deals, check out our deals website. It's a great selection of hand-picked bargains from our deal-digging experts. Learn more at ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in 20 minutes, wow, there's an ugly thing blowing in the winds in Washington, D.C. that's going to put your loved ones at risk that are in nursing homes or assisted living. It is frightfully scary, terrible, and I'm going to give you an assignment in 20 minutes. And later this hour, it's summertime, which means it is time for ticketing scams of all different types. I want to tell you how to protect yourself when you're buying tickets to an event, a concert, sports, whatever, things you need to look out for, warning signs to protect yourself. Because of the turmoil going on in Washington, D.C. right now, there's been an odd opportunity created. The economy has been growing, interest rates, I mean, um, unemployment rates are at the lowest they've been in forever, virtually back a generation, and employers are begging for workers. The number of unfilled jobs right now maybe the largest outside of wartime that we've experienced in the United States. And so normally, when you have that kind of thing going on, interest rates move up and up. But the marketplace is sensitive to instability. And right now, there's instability in Washington. So the 10-year Treasury, which is like a CD for rich people and institutions has collapsed in interest rates, which you may wonder, what in the world does that have to do with you? Well, there are a number of interest rates that are based on, in part, or pretty much completely, on what goes on with this thing called the 10-year Treasury. Most directly and immediately affected are mortgages. And mortgage rates have taken a deep dive in just the last few days. And in fact, are, uh, as best I can tell, the lowest they've been in 2017, a year when rates on mortgages were expected to go steadily up, up, up. They started to do that. And now with all the stuff going on in D.C., the interest rates have fallen not off a cliff, but down significantly, if you have a good credit score, which for mortgage lending typically is either 740 or 760 or above, would put you in rarefied air, 15-year loans now are quoting back in the twos, 30-year loans back in the threes. These are rates that there there was an assumption would not occur again. It also creates an opportunity that looked like it was closed. Because one phenomenon of real estate right now is a lot of people who might want to move to a different house are staying put because they're in a great rate on a 15 or 30. If they move, at least up till quite recently, they would lose that great rate 
and be in a significantly higher interest rate, costing themselves much more money for years and years and years. Well, now this is an upside of a downside that Washington is a mess. The upside is that it creates a new window for you to consider if you really want to move to be able to do so and still be able to get great financing for your house. Now, remember I said the rates I quoted in the twos for 15-year loans and the threes for 30 are for people with higher credit scores. So what about you? You don't have a credit score like that. Well, what happens is that the rates are based on prime borrowers and then step up and and pieces as your credit score goes down so regardless of where your credit standing is you benefit from the lower rates you're not going to get the lowest rates if you don't have those high tier credit scores but you will still get a lower rate than you would have even days ago certainly weeks ago And by the way, if you're doing a refi, shop and shop thoroughly with online lenders and local, you'll likely find your lowest rates with online lenders or credit unions. Especially for a purchase of a home, credit unions almost always offer significantly lower rates on mortgages than you can get from a bank. And hear me, I didn't say always, I said almost always. Connor is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Connor. Connor? I don't hear you. Let's see if Mark can hear me. Hello, Mark. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, Mark, you want to talk about college in a different well, way. No, actually, I want to talk about um, you, you, you had a story uh, last month about students coming out of college um, into the largest income, starting incomes ever. For average and for college students. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Was it 49,000? Was that the number? It was somewhere around there. I don't remember the exact number. It's hard for, I shouldn't have even said 49 because I'm going by memory from a month ago. But our producer, Joel, is looking for that number to see how close I was to see if I can look foolish or not. (laughs) Well, I just came out of that situation and uh, just wanted to give my story about what I've done since then. Let's hear. Uh, Well, three and a half years ago, uh, I was living paycheck to paycheck and going to a trade school. Um. During my last week of school, I actually got let go from my job of seven years and uh, ended up having to take a job making substantially less. I'm so sorry. So, oh, don't be. It was great. And uh, so I, uh, for six months, I chewed up my emergency fund and uh, I got a job. I got a job offer uh, in the industry that I went for and uh, took it. And it more, little over doubled my initial income. So what I did with that money in three years was uh, I built back up my emergency fund to a six-month, maxed out my 401K and my Roth IRA, 
I paid off $32,000 in student loan debt from a previous loan that didn't really work out. Uh, I bought a second vehicle, actually, at 17500 kind of as a gift for paying off the school loans. And uh, I paid off my daily driver of 13000 So this is an amazing story. So you, you were in the midst of getting a new skill, and what is that skill that you got? Uh, to being a process operator in one of the plants. And just before you're going to finish, you got laid off, you end up taking a big pay cut, Fortunately, you had rainy day money you were able to go through. You end up finally getting a good opportunity. And in three years' time, you have become a money machine. Yes, I have. And I'm curious, in general terms, what kind of uh, money are you making per year with this skill you have? It's right about 100000 Hundred grand a year, and you're not squandering it. You're building a life with it. That is fantastic. I actually just refinanced my house, since you were talking about that. I went down to a ten-year fixed at two point seven five. You know, I don't talk about the ten-year fixed that uh, generally are principally a credit union product, although some banks do them. But mm-hmm. for people that are really, really trying to not be in debt at all here you are in a 10-year loan paying virtually no interest you know down in the twos Mm -hmm. and look at the benefit of that for you over the long term can i ask how old you are 37 so by the time you're 47 years old you will own your home free and clear you're max saving in a 401k Max saving in a Roth IRA, you built up a massive rainy day amount of money. You know that you're putting yourself in a position that if you wanted to retire way before normal retirement age, you would even be able to do that if you wished. That is the game plan. I've actually got a goal to pay the house off in uh, six years. Wow. You know, I would say that's fine as long as you continue to max save in the 401k and the Roth. And the reason I'd say that would be necessary first is your interest Mm -hmm. rate on your mortgage is so awesome that it's a lower priority to cut four years off that mortgage. But Mm -hmm. if you're still max saving, go for it. That's the plan. Well, this is great to hear. And I'm curious, how long was the the, uh, technical school program you went through? Two years. Two years' time, you completely changed your financial trajectory. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. That is a great, great story. And by the way, Mark, my memory was right. It was 49,000. Was it 49? Should I even get beyond 49? It was 49,000 is the average amount that a college graduate is earning this year which is the highest for fresh college graduates ever, ever. And I can't believe I remembered that number. Connor's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Connor. Hi, Clark. You want to talk solar? Yeah, that's right. 
So are you thinking of doing whole house solar or solar hot water, or where are you on the solar thing? Well, um, I'm kind of looking for guidance. I, I don't really know what is possible or recommended, but I've, I've played with a few calculators um, to see what costs look like, and um, I'm getting some conflicting information that seems to indicate that even with if there are rebates available, that um, it's potentially like a negative um, kind of investment, like it wouldn't ever pay itself back or it would take too long to pay itself back. So It is possible. I mean, you know, you live in Missouri. Right. So the places in the country where it has the greatest payback are the states where, uh, well, nationally you get 30% back on whatever it costs you, but the states where it has the greatest, quickest payback are states with a lot of sun and high energy costs that combination absolutely makes it work hawaii number one california number two the rest of the um southwest generally it works very well texas is a mixed bag because in texas the energy costs are low but the sun shines so brightly and florida is one of the best cases where almost no solar is installed. But for you in Missouri, making the numbers work is more iffy. I see. So uh, if you take a, a typical system that will cost you, what have you been quoted for whole house solar? Um, I, I don't remember offhand. Um, I want to say um, it was something like... 20,000? Yeah, 20 is the typical quote. And so after the 30% credit, you end up at 14. What do you spend per month on power right now? Uh, so actually, this is a house that I um, don't own yet. Um, oh, okay. It's kind of an unusual deal, but I, I know somebody who um, rehabs houses in a particular neighborhood, and so he owns the house now, and I get to have kind of input on... Um, on what goes into the project. and Well, the key is until you know what kind of monthly bills that house typically runs, you've got, you're missing a key variable to figure out if it would make sense or not. So there are places in the country where it's just almost a no-brainer, others where you really got to put pen to paper to see if it will, in fact, pay off. And right now, too many questions for you to answer. Well, I was going to talk to you now about a way that your parents could be terribly abused, but I don't have enough time to fully address it because I ran a little bit late a few minutes ago. So I'm going to do that next hour, and I want to make sure you know about some really ugly stuff that's on the horizon that you're going to have to protect your loved ones from who are aging. So right now, why don't I do something fun? I want to address something I brought up yesterday at this same time, and that is the amazing sizzling deal on airfares that's available for the back half of summer through the fall up till just before Christmas, except around Thanksgiving. Started by Southwest and now matched by pretty much everybody more or less, 
It allows for travel over a multi-month period and with other airlines in, seats widely available with fares zoned with most places from where you live, either $49 or $79 one way through late summer into the fall. Far, far away from you, more than that. But what a steal of a deal. Buy it now. Thanks for joining us today on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. And when you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com. Speaking of deal or no deal, was that a show or something? There are so many concert and sports and special events tickets being sold in the secondary market. And over and over again, people are ending up being so excited they're getting to go to an event and they get to the ticket taker and they take that scanner and they say, I'm sorry, you don't have a valid ticket. I saw it happen right in front of me when I went to the Super Bowl. And there was a couple in front of me that was so unbelievably upset that had spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars buying their tickets to go to the game, and they got turned away. They were, they were inconsolable. And this is happening at all types of events, particularly the more uh, sought after the tickets are to an event, the more likely it is that you'll end up with a counterfeit. You have to be so very careful third party. Craigslist, a recipe for disaster. But wherever you see a ticket promoted, advertised, or whatever, you got to know that the counterfeiting problem is massive. And you, if you're asked to pay by PayPal, wire money, anything like that, you can pretty much be assured that your money's taking a one-way trip and you're not going to the concert, sports event, special event, whatever. Well, you might be at the venue, but you're not going inside because the ticket will be phony. The problem also is that what is a ticket now? You know, you may be given a paper ticket that was perfectly valid at one time, but with so many events now, a ticket can be reprinted and any prior barcodes are no longer valid. So you show up and you've got what was a valid ticket but became something else entirely. And the worst cases, a crooked seller will start with a few legitimate tickets, but sell the same ones over and over and over again. And in a game of musical chairs, only the last person actually has a valid ticket to an event. So my thing Buy only one of two ways to protect yourself. Buy either directly from the event itself 
the team, the venue, the official seller for a concert, whatever, or buy on the officially recognized resale site for that event. Now, I know you're allowing the promoter or whoever to corner the market twice on the original sale of a ticket and on the resale, but I think that's how you should do it because that's how you protect yourself and your money from a counterfeit. You know, it used to be that people would most often end up with counterfeits buying them outside an event from a human. But that's not really because of the way tickets can move around electronically now. That's not the principal source of heartache anymore or loss of money. So please don't let your reason escape you in your enthusiasm to go to something. Jana is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jana. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Great. You're thinking of changing careers entirely or partially? Well, that's my, that's my dilemma. At my age, I'm 52, and I've been selling real estate for 14 years, going on 15 years, and honestly, I'm worn out. <laughs> but are you a natural salesperson? Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much. And um, with that being said, I'm a little on the introverted side, which uh, I'm not a member of the country club. I don't have a huge database, which is 90% of real estate and getting leads. And Well, then, you know, then how have you been? Because you've been successful for, you said, 14 years. Yeah, you, yeah. You've got something have, that's working for you. Well, I've been a member of a team before. I have tapped out my network, um, past work experience, people from, you know, jobs that I've had in the past and, you know, those avenues. But, um, you know, you get to a certain level and unless you're investing just a ton of money in lead generation, you know, it's kind of difficult to survive. So, um, I get most of my business on referrals and, um, you know, it's 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 difficult. It's well, difficult. I, first of all, what I hear fun. what I hear in you is that you're selling yourself short because you're fatigued from what you've been doing. Because let me tell you something: the burnout in real estate is usually because somebody will get in it and they don't have that sales knack. If you've mm-hmm. been in it 14 years, you've got it. You just don't want to do it anymore. Right. <laughs> you might be right about that. And um, I'll be honest, with the current market, this market has just brought out the worst in buyers and sellers. And it's just browbeating. You know, it really is. I'm sorry. What kind of things make you say that? Well, sellers, they are expecting to get way over... Uh, market value for their homes and they will turn around and expect to get to purchase for below market value i mean it's just i'm smiling right now because you said now paying the high prices yeah but see that's always been the way it is people when they're when they're wearing their seller's hat they think their house is worth a zillion but when they're the buyer 
they want to find somebody who's going to sell their house for much less than what it's worth. I mean, exactly. it's just the craziest thing, and it's human nature. I, yeah. I'd say that makes me again feel that it's really more an issue of burnout on your part with being a real estate agent as a profession and not that your skills aren't up to the task. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with after 14 years saying, I got to move on. Right. Well, I would kind of like to at this point. (laughs) So what do you think you want to do? Well, you know, I, I... I think I want to stay in sales to some small degree. To I, I got to tell you, real estate is just so aggressive, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm not in that game anymore. You know, I'm kind of in an area in my life where I'm, I'm leveling out a little bit. You know, and and it's just, um, it's not intriguing to to be in that rat race. Got it. Got it. I, I hear I hear you loud and clear, but. Mm-hmm. You have a salesperson's personality. You've been getting your business from referrals, which means that people mm-hmm. trust you. They were happy with you, and they mm-hmm. felt confident enough in you. They were real, willing to refer other people to you. So mm-hmm. I would say that it means that you find a lower voltage sales environment to go into. Right. You know. And you know, it could even be uh, it could even be something that's a different form of. Real estate sales could be commercial sales where you don't get, where you have people who are more about the personality of investors than people that have all the emotion tied up in it. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because there are significant differences between commercial real estate and residential, but there's enough parallels that that could be a transition that might work well for you. Yeah, I have done a couple of commercial deals. Um, you know, there's not, in my area, there's not a huge, um, I guess, uh, to my knowledge anyway, there's not a huge, uh, I guess, faculty for learning more about commercial unless you pay a lot of money. All right, which, so, but, but there's, there's paths into it where you work um, for a leasing agent, as an example. And you learn the ins and outs, and then you can go into a higher compensating area of that. Or you can look at it a completely different way, forget everything I just said, but except for the part about how you definitely should be doing something in sales, and think of something else that you really enjoy in life that really interests you, Mm -hmm. and think about what kind of sales and marketing roles in those fields there might be for you. I mean, think about what you always want to do when you want to change directions in your career is you want to take the parts that you know are your skills or experience and use those as the foundation and then look for things outside of that where you can apply the things that you do know you have, that you did enjoy, that you do have the talent for, and find other areas that you can be rejuvenated by doing those in those in those areas. And you're just going to have to go through a period of exploration. And I'm sure you're going to find the right thing if you do it methodically. And obviously, you got to get out of residential real estate, hands down. Timothy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Timothy. Hello. How you doing? 
I'm great. So you want to ask about something that I'm already biased against. Right. Which is? I am looking at buying a home warranty. I bought a used home that um, is basically as is, and before we even turn the electricity on, I want to make sure I'm protected against something if it's worth doing. So I've never liked the used home warranties because they tend to have these very colorful, splashy brochures that promise the world. And then when you get in the actual contract for the the home service contract or warranty or whatever, it's one exclusion and limitation after another after another. Usually you'll have a deductible. Uh, The worst ones require that you only use their people who they don't compensate well and they're independent contractors but they're the ones they send your way and so many times you have big delays on service visits and you may or may not be getting somebody who's really good at it you know who's willing to take the the terrible reimbursement rates they get from the warranty companies Right. Well, you know, that's why I wanted to call you guys, because when we flip the power on this thing, it's a 50-50 chance whether the heating and air works, you know, things like that. And I just, I don't want to spend four or $5,000 out of the pocket. Got it. The heating Got it. So you could um, take guidance from a residential real estate agent. Do you know one in the area we just bought this as is? You do? Yeah, I do. Ask an agent for a referral for a home service contractor warranty that they found that their customers have not been miserable with. I'm never going to say they've been thrilled with. That's why I wanted to call up also because the two that I was looking at, anytime you go to try to find reviews on them, first thing it does, it pops up the webpage of the company with all those wonderful reviews about them. Yeah, don't go to their reviews at all. Um, right. Go to something like, I think, Ripoff Report. Does that still exist, Joel? Yeah, Ripoff Report is still out there. And when people have a beef, they're going to post it there. You're going to find information about it there. Or what you do, okay, this is going to sound so negative and terrible, but you put in the name of a warranty company, their exact name, uh-huh. And put next to it something like rip off or excuse the term sucks or something like that. Right. And see what what people are saying that have a beef, and that'll get you away from all those phony reviews that the warranty companies have been posting, the service contract companies. And know that even with the least bad of them, you're gonna have to really be your advocate to get the money out of what you've paid into it. Jamie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jamie. How's it going? Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call today. My pleasure Um, to do so. Jamie, you have a dilemma that's a good dilemma no matter how you slice it. That's right. It's a a fun dilemma to have, and uh, it's also a dilemma that's no stress. And I wanted to ask you this question and get your expert opinion about it. Ready. Okay. So I recently took uh, the next leap in my career, and the new company is benevolent enough to offer me um, a car lease, so a company car. Uh, It's a four-year lease, um, and they pay for everything from gasoline to maintenance to insurance. 
The alternative is I can uh, take Stop right there for a second, if you don't mind. Sure. Do you sign for financial responsibility on that lease, or does the company lease that and they are fully financially responsible? They, they take on all the, all the ownership and all the responsibility, and including the uh, auto insurance. Great. Okay. Um, the alternative is I can choose uh, an allowance of around $10,000 a year. Um, they still offer a gasoline card. Um, but obviously, everything else at that point is uh, would be covered by me from insurance to maintenance to the actual uh, payment of the car itself. And uh, so I wanted to ask your opinion. Um, which way do you think I should go? Take the car from the employer. Take it from okay. them. Don't don't let the dollar signs excite you about the ten grand because with the lease, with the employer being responsible for everything, it removes it as being any kind of pain point in your life. And okay. they, they then have 100% responsibility and all that. Think about this. If you were to get a car that you were getting to do this job and you end up not liking the job or they don't like you or whatever, and you take another job where you don't even need a car like you would have that you would have gotten because of this allowance you're then still stuck with that car. On the other hand, if you end up leaving them or they want you to leave, whatever, the car is their responsibility. You just turn it over to them. That's a great perspective. I'm glad I called you. I was actually leaning towards the other side. but uh, Oh, that's why. I mean, every time I get this call, people are always wanting to take the allowance, and occasionally there will be a circumstance where maybe that would make sense. But usually... Just take the free wheels. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, and we'll be right back. Glad you've joined us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. And speaking of your wallet, in a half hour, I'm going to talk about the opportunity available right now on used cars that is making used cars the best deal they've been in perhaps a generation. I'm going to tell you the factors that are colliding, that are creating great opportunity for your wallet. And that's what we're about on the Clark Howard Show, is giving you ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. Clark.com slash ask is how you get to ask me a question. So there's something that I am really, really upset about, and I'm trying to be reasonable about it as I discuss it. Because I think that we in the United States don't do enough for our senior citizens. We've got too much going on with criminals taking advantage as people age and ripping them off with scams, stealing their money, fake charities, you name it. And we as a country, is we have... A population that is aging, the demographics of the United States getting way more gray, we have a lot of people that are going to need care in old age of various levels. And at the same time, we are a very vast country with family members scattered around the U.S. So often, even if we wished to provide more care to our parents, they're going to need to be in some form of assisted living 
or nursing home. And there is something going on right now that just stirs up fury in me and hurt and anger. And here's what it is. You know, there are times that are reported in the news from time to time when there will be a nursing home that abuse of patients is going on or theft of money from patients going on or a patient dies because of poor care or bad staffing or whatever or a patient ends up much worse off medically because of a failure to provide good care and there is a move afoot to give nursing homes and assisted living exemption from being subject to the laws of the United States. That nursing homes and assisted living facilities will be able, as a cost of admission, to get you to sign away your constitutional rights and those of your family in the event you were abused in a nursing home or assisted living, you were killed in a nursing home or assisted living, you were stolen from in one, or you get sicker or injured or whatever because of a failure to provide good care in that nursing home or assisted living facility. Let me tell you what's going on. This is dirty. This is rotten. These are scoundrels. There's an inside deal in Washington where right now, if something happens to a family member, you have access to the courts of the United States. But in a sneaky, slithery, slimy, disgusting, inside-the-beltway kind of con, they're quietly trying to slip through a change in the rules where you will no longer have access to the courts. And you know, what's so abusive about this is a lot of people in assisted living or nursing homes are quite elderly citizens who fought for our nation's freedom in various wars. And one of the things they fought for is our wonderful system of three branches of government. And one of those things is your right to be heard in court. Now, you can do something and make your voice heard. There is a comment period that opens 24 hours where you'll be able to make your voice heard. And we're going to have a link for you direct for you to be able to make a comment when that opens up. Could be your parent, could be my parent, could be my aunt, my uncle, a loved one, could be a husband or wife, brother or sister, who could end up in a situation where they're abused and you have nothing you can do about it. Nothing. That's wrong. That is wrong and that is evil. And I hope that you'll take the time to comment on this 
and make it clear in your own words why people should have a right to the courts in the event abuse, t- abuse takes place or a loved one gets killed or whatever. And at the same time, I make it sound so like they've got a mark on you when you go into assisted living or a nursing home, like they're trying to kill you or abuse you or whatever. Far from it. It's tough work in those facilities. And most people who do it do it from a great place in their heart wanting to help out your loved one. Unfortunately, there are those that have dark hearts also or poorly run facilities. This is about ferreting out the bad from the good. On that subject as well, at Clark.com, because of the number of questions I've had from people that are trying to figure out where they, where they should be looking for a place for their parents and all the rest, I have a guide on how to find a very specialized level of expertise, a geriatric care manager who's someone who evaluates you or a parent or a spouse or whoever who may need care, but you don't even know because we're lay people. You don't know what level of care they need. You don't have the expertise to know other than a fancy brochure. What place is actually going to do a good job? Just because a place is fancy or elegant doesn't mean they're going to do a good therapeutic job for your loved one or for you. So I want you to know the expertise is out there. You can hire someone who can guide you. You know, there's always going to be moments where people with dark hearts bring harm to others and our silence is acquiescence. And that's why I ask you, if this is something that touches you, please take the time to make your comments when the comment period opens tomorrow. You'll see the clear link at Clark.com with an explanation about what this is about. Justin joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Justin. Hey, Clark. Thanks for having me. Sure, Justin. How can I be of service to you? Well, uh, you know, I I had a few questions. So in the past uh, year, my wife and I were married about a year and a half ago. We built up a little credit card debt. Well, first, congratulations on your marriage. Oh, thanks so much. So w- was uh, yeah, the credit card debt for wedding expenses and all that? Well, uh, some met wedding wedding expenses, some uh, and majority were medical, unfortunately. And oh, then, I'm sorry. Uh, some was just frivolous spending. How, how's um, health now? Uh, the health is good. Health good. Is, it's all Great. well and maintained. Glad to hear that. Yes, sir. Uh, so we bought a house last year. Uh, we both, my wife and I, we both work full time. We both contribute to our 401k. Um, you know, we, we've kind of been doing pretty well in a few areas. Um, in the past year, we had we both had a hiccup with the IRS. We ended up not contributing as much as we thought. So we're in a spot now where we are paying the IRS for about three thousand um, is what we owe them, and then we're also at about eleven thousand in credit card debt. So um, my major question is, you know, sort of how to start attacking this. And you know, we have. 
some options in either consolidating under a new card, um, which is something we've looked at. We've also considered withdrawing, you know, just taking out of the 401k to pay it all off. Now, um, a hardship maybe. withdrawal is hard to get approved, okay. and it depends on the, the plan document of the plans you're in, but if you're still employed where you have your 401ks, it's not supposed to be easy and shouldn't be for you to do a hardship withdrawal. In many plans, you can do a, a plan loan from a 401k, but let's let's talk about where you've gotten to right now. The IRS debt, as scary as that sounds, isn't. Do you know what interest rate you're paying on the, the loan you're paying? It's basically a loan you're paying back to the IRS. Okay, no, I don't know the interest rate. It's probably around 9% would be my guess because it's based on where prevailing interest rates are. That's not going to be a high one. So that one, you're going to extinguish that, I would I would guess, in a year's time? Yeah, that's that's the plan. Okay, so the IRS thing, as long as you're sending them, you know, 250 300 a month, don't worry about that. Okay. Just keep doing that. You, you know, speaking of the IRS, if you did a hardship withdrawal from uh, either your 401ks, your employer would approve it, you're going to pay massive tax and penalties on that. On average, typically around 46% of the wow. money will go to tax and penalties. Okay. So that's, that's a very, very remote, last option kind of strategy. So... If you think about the debt you have, it happened here, happened there, happened a little bit everywhere. Mm-hmm. I would love for you and your wife to do some something hard, and that is to go sit down with a budgeting counselor. Because it sounds to okay. me, listening to you, these are all things involved is merging your lives together. You had the medical reversal, but you bought the house. There's a lot going on. And I think you'd benefit mightily from sitting down with somebody who's an expert in budgeting and coming up with a plan both to take on the credit card debt that you said. I'm sorry, you said it's 11000 How much did you say the credit card debt was? Yes, sir. 11000 11000 3000 of the IRS. What's your combined income for both of you? Roughly 120 I'm in sales, so there's a little commission. All right. Uh, you can easily manage your way from this. You don't need to do a 401k loan or anything like that. With that level of income and the debt we're talking about being roughly 10% annual income, this is all a matter of getting your financial priorities in place. Okay. There's a group called NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. The web address nfcc.org. Now, you and your wife would have to do the hard work of going through uh, page after page of deep dive information you fill out about your finances. A lot of times a couple will pick that up, put it down several times before they get it done. sooner you get it done, the better. And then you go sit down with a budget expert, a counselor. Usually that's free. If there's any charge, it's tiny. And that counselor will be able to help you see your way to better manage your finances 
and you're going to take away that edge from this, you know, that discomfort and that feel of loss of control. Okay. In fact, I can give you this. I will give you a guarantee that if you go sit down with a counselor and hear them out and follow their recommendations, you will with certainty get your debt under control. Not even possibility, certainty. Joe, you're saving money for a down payment on a home. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Clark. How are you today? I'm doing great. Hope you are. How can I Tell am. me where Thank you are you in so this much. and how I can help. Thank you. Yeah, my wife and I, we're both pretty good savers. We max out a Roth IRA. We both contribute to a 401k. Uh, and we have six months of expenses saved up. Uh, so our next goal is 20% down on a house. Uh, we've wow. done pretty good at that. We're actually to the point where we could put down 30%. So my question to you is, is it wise to put down 30% or is there something better I could be doing with that extra 10%? <laughs> I love the way you think. <laughs> so no doubt that if you're at a point where you have 30%, do 30%. Okay. And with the goal being, ready? Yes. Because I can tell what kind of guy you are. <laughs> you buy that home with a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30 I like the way you think, Clark, because, because I have looked at that. Yeah. See, if you're putting 30% down instead of 20 you lower the overall amount of money you're going to borrow, so you're already looking at a smaller base that you're financing. You then put it in a 15-year loan instead of a 30 you're going to get a point lower interest rate, and you're going to be paying so much more um, uh, principal instead of interest every single month and you'll build up enormous equity and you'll own the home free and clear in 15 instead of 30. Gotcha. Yes. So, you know, you have created the opportunity for yourself to live your life in so much more control because of how you handle money living on substantially less than what you make. And so instead of waiting years for reward, you get the reward right now. That's great. My only, my only slight concern with that is my wife is an independent contractor, so her salary isn't set like mine is. I, I don't worry about that in your case, because since you are somebody who lives on so much less than what you make, you would adjust to that, and you might not save as much, but you'd still be able to handle it. You are very careful with money. You're very cautious. The 15-year would work perfectly. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website, ClarkDeals.com, where you see ways to save money up to the minute. Speaking of saving money up to the minute, T-Mobile is running a special right now to try to attract multi-line family plan people away from AT&T, Sprint, and Verizon, four lines 140 a month, unlimited data, unlimited everything, and that includes all taxes and junk fees. So $35 a line per month. So that is a deal. And if you are of a mind to switch your cell phone provider on a family plan, check that out. Check this out. This year is going to be the best year 
to buy a used car in the United States in probably a generation. There's a number of factors contributing to this. One is a massive number of vehicles that were leased three years ago that are coming into the used vehicle marketplace. Automakers overplayed their hand for a few years and pushed leases that were subsidized way too hard. So those leases, the clock is running out on them. Those lease vehicles coming back to auctions, coming back on dealer lots, both franchise dealers and independents, and the supply is way out of kilter. Month after month after month, the auto industry is distressed by seeing the cost of used vehicles going down, what they're bringing at auction, going down, what they bring when you go to buy one on a car lot, going down. And the result of this is that this is a phenomenal time to buy a used car. That's the sixth time I counted them that I used the word car. Why? Because the ultimate incredible deal right now is not on SUVs, crossovers, trucks, vans. It is on cars. Because the marketplace three years ago was very heavily oriented towards passenger cars. Now very heavily tilted the other way. In fact, the largest percent of new vehicle sales ever is what are referred to as light trucks. Crossover utility vehicles, uh, sport utility vehicles, pickup trucks, vans versus passenger cars. People just aren't into passenger cars right now. So you've got this perfect train wreck of this massive oversupply coming into the used vehicle market for cars because of all the ones that were leased three years ago approximately. At the same time, the buyers for cars have evaporated. So sweet, sweet, sweet spot for you, sour spot for the automakers. If you are willing to drive a passenger car instead of some kind of light truck. Now, let me tell you something. You don't have to wear a bag over your head. You don't have to be embarrassed that you're driving a car. Instead, you can smile and your wallet will. And by the way, the phenomenal deal right now is on three-year-old luxury cars because the luxury car market is even more heavily tilted towards leases than non-luxury automobiles. So getting a three-year-old luxury car is the best deal they have been probably ever. And you want to see the ultimate deal of all? It's a segment of the marketplace that with gas prices being so low right now, nobody cares about, and that is either a three-year-old hybrid or a Nissan Leaf. I talked about the Leaf thing a few months ago. The Leafs are worth nothing, nothing. Nissan very heavily leased those 
a few years ago. Those leases are coming to an end. And people are buying those things for as little as $6,000 for a three-year-old leaf that may have somewhere around twenty-five to 30,000 miles on it. And then they cost nothing to run. You've got to have the right commute cycle and all that to make one of those work for you. But the deals are tremendous. Do not go by what any dealer says, what kind of deal they're offering. You Because know, the trick with the used car market is they say, this used car was $17,422, but right now we're selling it for $12,999. You know, they create this false retail with this sale price. But then if you go do your homework and you check Edmonds, Kelly Blue Book, whatever, you'll find out that the real value of that vehicle in the used marketplace may actually be 10.6 or 9.8 or whatever. Do your work. And by the way, part of that work, any used vehicle, it's got a history. That history may not always be good. So you have a used vehicle checked out by a mechanic of your choosing, or even before that, you run a vehicle title history. We have a little-known service you can use to run that title history for free. Who knows how long they'll stay around. But for now, what a deal. You can find that at Clark.com. Christy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christy. Hi. Christy, you got a house. You can't decide whether you want to kick it to the curb or not. Yes, we do. What's your story? Well, our story is we've been married for um, eight years and have been trying to get closer and closer to work. My husband works about 45 miles from home, and I teach about 20 miles from our house. Okay, you're and killing me. You're very You're killing quickly. me. 45 miles one way? Uh-huh. <sighs> Do you know how far I like to commute? Probably a whole lot less than that. Like a mile is as far as I want to go. Right now I whine because my commute is five miles. Mm-hmm. So we have a slight emotional attachment to this house. It's the first home my husband has purchased. He had it before we got married. Um, so I think that's one thing with it. But um, he sees it as an investment because he re- was able to refinance when interest rates were super low. So we have a phenomenal house payment. But um, I see it as a hassle to where we could sell our home, make money, make hopefully enough money to pay off all of our debt and still have a down payment for another home. So... So neither we're, of we're you, in this neither of you is. Of he wants to rent. Yeah, and, and Christy, Christy, <laughs> neither of you is right or wrong here. Exactly. So we got to weigh factors here. Okay. So the original value of the home. What did your husband pay for it when he bought it? I think he paid maybe one twenty-two for it. And what do you think it's worth today if you were to sell it? Well, there are two homes in our neighborhood. One is under contract for one ninety eight, and one is listed right now for two twenty nine. Okay, so let's say, just for argument's sake, it's worth two hundred, and you got selling expenses. You end up clearing seventy grand. Let's say that's the number on it. Mm-hmm. Seventy grand in profit. So, if you sell it, that profit is free, no tax. Mm-hmm. If you keep it as a rental for enough years, 
that becomes what's known as an embedded gain and it'll be subject to tax later. Uh-huh. So when you sell your personal residence, you don't pay tax up to a certain limit, which is a quarter million for an individual, half uh-huh. a million for a family, for a couple. So the advantage of selling it now is that it's a tax-free action. But the disadvantage is that you're giving up what could be, thinking about 122 your monthly payment, including taxes and insurance, is at about 800 Oh, no, it's less than that. With, when he refinanced it, he, we only had, or he only had about 80 left to pay on it. And so our house payment's about 650 a month. Including taxes and insurance. Including taxes and everything. And the neighborhood's a good neighborhood? Yes. Neighborhood going up, down, or sideways right is, now? It's kind of staying, the, I mean, it's, it's very steady. It's not going down any. Well, see, that makes a very strong case for keeping it as a rental because it, with a carry cost of six fifty a month, you're going to make money every month. You're going to be able to rent it for, what, 1200 something like that? Possibly. That's what he's hoping. Yeah, so let's say he's hoping is wrong and you rent it for 1000 Even from okay. the beginning, you're making good money. So okay. the economic argument is is a little bit of each side, but more in his favor. So then that brings us to the ultimate question. Mm-hmm. And that is, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> he doesn't believe in that. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, if you if you think it's just a big hassle, it will become a source of tension between the two of you when the toilet breaks or whatever, and you're going to say, I told you so, I told you we shouldn't have had that hassle or whatever. He's going to have to totally own everything involved with renting it out, collecting the rent, making repairs, all of that. And okay. If, and if you, the two of you can handle it that way, keep it as a rental. But if it's going to be a source of friction between the two of you, then he needs to sell it. Because why create friction in your marriage? Okay. So if it were me, absolutely I'd keep that as a rental. But, you know, not everything in life is about money. And two of you being happy together trumps money. Matt is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hi, Clark. Matt, somebody wants to be you out there, and that is not at all flattering, is it? No, no, not in this life, for sure. What's happening? So, um, actually, my wife was recently a victim of identity theft. Uh, she had a credit card opened under her name, um, and that got us kind of thinking. We, we know about credit freeze. Unfortunately, we didn't get to it fast enough. Um, but we know about credit freeze as locking down our credit profile. But I'm wondering uh, about our other assets that we have, um, bank accounts, retirement accounts, investment accounts. Uh, what's to stop someone with this information and potentially uh, fraudulent ID uh, from going into a bank and, and withdrawing funds? That is a great question, and the answer is probably not much. So with your bank and brokerage, that kind of thing, set up two-factor authentication. Right. And, so we have two-factor authentication on our online accounts. I was concerned more about, about somebody walking person, in in person. Telephone banking. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've done uh, retirement account transfers before where you're literally just filling out a paper and faxing it in. Um, so things like that. All right. So in a case like that, if somebody impersonated you and made off with the money, the financial institution would be responsible to you. 
Okay, so there are built-in consumer protections for that? Right, and, and they are ironclad on bank accounts. They are situational on brokerage and mutual fund accounts. But several of the investment companies, this first started with Charles Schwab, give you the same kind of protections on your investment account from identity theft as you would have at a bank or credit union on a bank account or credit union account. Excellent. Um, so one, one last curveball to throw in there. We, we also happen to own small business, and so we have uh, bank accounts for the small business. I was wondering if that would have uh, similar protections against fraudulent um, you know, withdrawals or charges or things of that nature. No, a business account does not. In a business account situation, you are held to a higher standard, what is usually referred to as due care. And you're governed by a different series of rules, usually coming under the Uniform Commercial Code, which is uh, kind of like a rule book for business-to-business transactions. And so what you want to show on your business account is that you have taken every precaution you can, forgetting this identity theft issue, just generally, that you've taken every precaution you can, like having your checkbooks locked up and... Uh, checking your accounts twice a week, you know, having and having something simple written down. This is these are the things we do to maintain security on our business account. Okay, excellent. Um, so there's there's no uh, magical uh, <laughs> fix that we can have to, to have alerts or, or things that would uh, require authorization. Um, right. So that's a great question. The big authorization you want is wiring instructions that no electronic wiring instructions should be accepted on your account that any wire that takes place must be verified by human contact because the biggest way that criminals who do identity theft loot an investment account or a brokerage account is through wire transfer done set up electronically. I hope that you're able to contain this and it doesn't get to any of these scenarios you're worried about, Matt. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Mark, you've got a real entrepreneur's spirit and you have been a good saver. You got money to pay cash for a car, but you're thinking now, what about doing something different to buy that car? Tell me. So, uh, Clark, thanks for everything uh, sure. you've done. I listened to probably six years of podcasts uh, in a row here. Oh, wow. And I never heard this question. Um, what do you think about, I know you don't have people actually pay off um, mortgages early because of the rate. What about a 1.9 rate on a, on a car and then using Prosper to try and make 5% on my money? So you have this outstanding car loan at 1.9, but you have cash to wipe it out? I, I don't have a car yet. Oh, you're going to... Oh, so you could either take out... Because car loans right now, yeah, if you go to a credit union, right. they're like 2% loans. Mm-hmm. So tell me about otherwise. How do you handle money? Uh, I'm pretty good, thanks to uh, um, being brainwashed by you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've, In that case, I've, if your fin- finances are really rock solid and yeah. you have that entrepreneurial spirit... And the choice is either I uh, take out a car loan 
and then I can invest money in Prosper, Lending Club, or whatever, or I pay cash for a car, I'd say go for Prosper Lending Club. Okay. Because then you're an arbitrage guy. You know, you're taking out a loan at 2% with a goal of earning uh, minimum, even after write-offs, 5 or 6% right. in Prosper Lending Club. I think that's a worthy bet. You know, if you were if you were living on the edge, I would never tell you to do that. You don't live on the edge, Mark. You set up the possibilities and... Lending Club and Prosper, it's a bit experimental to be a lender on those, but the risk level is reasonable and low enough. Why not make that spread? Good for you. Thanks again for being here with us today on The Clark Howard Show.